Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hey, TCC. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. As our bumper video indicated, we are in a sermon series called Luke for All Seasons. We started in Luke during Advent, diving into chapter 1 as we were counting down the days to Christmas. Christmas Eve, we were in the beginning of chapter 2 with Jesus' arrival. The following two Sundays were Christmas tide, and so we were in Luke looking at the early days of Jesus, his circumcision and the prophecy of Simeon, and then Jesus at the temple when he was 12. And today, we're picking it up again in chapter 3 in Luke, at the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we'll be lingering in the Gospel of Luke through Easter. So it's not going to be exactly a rigorous approach of going through chapter by chapter. That would take a lot more time. But it is to say that the Gospel of Luke is going to be the lens through which we view the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Right? It's going to take us from Advent to Christmas to Lent to Easter. Luke for all seasons. So we would encourage you to add Luke to your reading plan, or if you're someone who struggles with being in the Word, this is a great opportunity to start getting into that habit. And I would encourage you to read through the Gospel of Luke over these next several weeks. So let's turn now to Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Eterea and Traconius, and Licinius Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. 
Well, hey there, you brood of vipers. What on earth are you doing watching this? That's not exactly a welcoming statement, is it? Those are not exactly kind words. That's not a nice thing to say. But those are essentially the first words that we have in the Gospel of Luke from John the Baptist. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? People coming out to see him, people coming out to be baptized by him, were called a brood of vipers. He insults his own audience without even a trigger warning. Right? That, that's not affirming, is it? You know, we live in a culture that is all about affirmation. Everything has to be affirming, and everyone has to be affirming. It's not enough even to just live and let live. No, we have to nod in approval. We have to slow clap in awe. You have to be affirming of my choices and affirming of my lifestyle and affirming of my pronouns. And there's a genuine expectation that we should be able to go through life without ever being offended. And that even filters into the church, where we start to buy into the culture's understanding of what's loving. And people will bend their theology, distort their doctrine, you know, broaden their minds on biblical interpretation because they want to be loving. And love is increasingly only defined in our culture as affirmation and total acceptance. All grace and no truth. But without truth, it's neither gracious nor loving. Grace doesn't mean anything apart from God's righteous wrath. Mercy doesn't mean anything apart from God's justice. The cross doesn't mean anything apart from our sin. Christianity doesn't mean anything if it's just reduced to a means of being nice. And not just theologically, but also missionally, evangelically. You know, when it comes to theology, oh, I can be a hardliner and speak difficult truths. But when it comes to mission, when it comes to evangelism, well, it's very easy for me to reduce Christianity to just being nice. You know, be polite in public. Or leave a good tip for a waitress. Or smile at the cashier and say, you have a good day. Because that's easier. And all of that is good, and John the Baptist is going to point us to good deeds as a sign of fruit, as a sign of a repentant life. But make no mistake about it, leaving a big tip is not the gospel. No, the gospel starts here with this point from John the Baptist, with a message of repentance. The gospel can be awkward. The gospel can be uncomfortable and hard to hear and even harder to say. These words from John the Baptist are blunt words, but they are loving words because they are truthful words so that, verse 6, all people will see God's salvation. These are hard words, but these are loving words because there's something at stake here. A wrath is coming, he says, right? A coming wrath. A judgment is coming. That's what John is proclaiming. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's a judgment coming that's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's a real judgment. It's not just metaphor. It's actual. A real judgment is coming. Your sin will be accounted for one way or another. This is going to actually happen. 
You know, listen to the start of our passage again. Verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Eturia, and Traconius, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. You hear those names, those politicians, those regions? Does that sound like metaphor? No, this is grounded in history. Luke is putting John the Baptist in a particular time, in a particular place. And John the Baptist is a fulfillment of God's word. That's what it says in our passage, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. There's poetic language there. There's figurative language there. But John the Baptist is not a metaphor. God's promises and God's word are fulfilled in actuality. John the Baptist is sent in reality, in history. And so too, John's words are poetic and figurative. But it's not simply a metaphor. God's wrath and coming judgment is actual. And so there are consequences and stakes connected to our repentance. The pastor Kevin DeYoung in a sermon put it this way, But you say, shouldn't I be emphasizing God's grace? Isn't it all about grace? Shouldn't our preaching be all about grace? And of course it should be. But what makes us think that the warning of God's wrath is not grace to us? We are not giving to our friends or to ourselves or to our people all the grace that God has for us if we do not make known that the wrath of God is coming. God is nothing but grace to his children, but this grace can come to us in brighter and darker hues. That's why these are grace-filled, loving words, because something is really at stake here, and we must be spurned on to repentance. That's John's ministry. That's his mission, repentance. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is his mission. That is his ministry, to turn the hearts of the people back to God. And the first step of repentance is to recognize your condition, to recognize your need, to recognize that you're a brood of vipers, to recognize that you need to change, to recognize that you need transformation, to recognize that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. If you're ever going to come to repentance, you have to see that you need it. If you're good and fine just the way you are, uh, then John the Baptist's words are not going to mean anything to you. And Christianity has nothing for you. And it is just going to be offensive. And we see here John's words do offend people. He gets imprisoned and his head cut off because of it. Because he called out people's sins. Verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. John the Baptist didn't affirm Herod's choices. He spoke out against his sin, and it was offensive. And as Christians, as people who are called to be ministers of reconciliation, we share a similar mission to John the Baptist, spurring people on to repentance and reconciliation with God because the Messiah is coming and judgment is coming with him. And we need to recognize that our message, like John's message, is going to offend some people. Uh, William Farley in an essay wrote this, The gospel is inherently divisive. It affects both unbelievers and saints. Believers respond with joy. Those not called respond with anger, condescension, or disgust, but rarely apathy. 
Sometimes unbelieving visitors have walked out in the middle of our Sunday sermon. This has also happened when professing Christians heard the negatives for the first time. Why this response? The gospel commands us to humble ourselves and renounce dependence on our good works. It commands us to submit to sovereign grace. This message is humbling, and pride doesn't like to be humbled. The gospel winnows the church by offending pride. Besides, the God behind the gospel is not what unbelief expects. He is the narrow gate who saves only the obedient and threatens unbelief with weeping and gnashing of teeth in eternal fire. Paul was clear on this issue. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life. Now, that's not to say that there's not a thing called tact. It has to be truth with grace, speaking the truth in love, as it says in Peter. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It has to be truth with grace, speaking the truth in love. And so often the reality is we're far more comfortable talking about other people's need for repentance than our own and far more interested in judging outside the church than within when the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. It was the people that were coming to John that he called a brood of vipers. And John the Baptist here is speaking to a Jewish audience, to people of the covenant, good, religious, moral people like we think we are. He says in verse 8, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, at TCC, we have multiple generations of families, and that's unique in churches and a really wonderful thing, but it can also be deceitful and maybe give a false sense of security. You know, a cultural sort of Christianity can set in, where it's just an extension of a family tradition, where church is just one of these things that you do to be a good person, like paying taxes or supporting the troops. You can be baptized as an infant and you can spend your whole life in the church and never once come to true repentance. Jesus says these terrifying words in Matthew. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'm a good person. I go to church. I don't commit crimes. I'm generally nice to people. I'm an upstanding citizen. What do I need to repent from? Listen to this account from Luke. When he, that's Jesus, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Is this a story about fish? 
Does Peter respond this way because he's so grateful because his crew got so much fish? No, obviously not. It's not about fish. It's about who Jesus is. Peter was in the same boat with Jesus. He was right there. Jesus was speaking. He was teaching. Peter heard his words, but he still didn't see Jesus. The catch of fish opens his eyes. He sees Jesus for who he is, and he falls on his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. If you don't see your sin, if you don't see your need for repentance, that's because you've never really seen Jesus. You might have heard his words. You might have listened to his teachings in church. You might have been near him, but you still may not have seen him. You know, the message today is the same one from John the Baptist, repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible proclaims to us in Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is by Jesus that we have forgiveness of our sins. John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance, but he's very clear that his baptism is just water. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. That's the lowliest of the low. You know, even Hebrew slaves were not required to remove the sandals of their masters because it was considered that undignified. But John here says, I'm not even worthy to do that. John sees Jesus for who he is, as the Son of God, as God incarnate. Our passage declares in verse 21, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In the Gospel of John, we have these words. John chapter 1. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's baptism is just water. The forgiveness of sins comes to us only by Jesus, by the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, by his death on the cross in our stead. John the Baptist can't do that for you. We can't do that for you. Good, moral, upstanding people can't do that for you. Only God can do that. The Bible declares in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we see that in our passage. A small line, but an important one. Verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Jesus was baptized too. He was counted among the brood of vipers. The Son of God, the one whose sandals were unworthy to untie, comes into the water with us and is counted among us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when we come in repentance, when we turn away from our unrighteousness to Jesus, it leads us to transformation. John's baptism is just water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, with fire. The baptism of the Spirit is purifying, it's refining, it's transformative. It produces fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's what John the Baptist points us to as evidence of fruit, righteous lives. Verse 10, what shall we do then, the crowd asked. John 
John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Righteous lives are the fruit of a true repentant life, of a life baptized not just with water, but by the Spirit. But repentance in Christ is not simply behavior modification. No, it's real transformation. This is the transformation of the Spirit. Galatians. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's the transformative power of the Spirit, turning us away from the acts of flesh, from our former selves, and into the fruit of the Spirit. If we have found forgiveness in Christ, we do not keep on sinning so that grace may abound. No, we produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The message today is the same one from John the Baptist. Repent. If you profess Christ, but your life is not producing the fruit of the Spirit, you need repentance. And if you've never known Christ, if you're offended to be called a sinner, don't be like Herod, who locked away John because he didn't like what he heard. No, hear it for what it is, which is good news. Verse 18, And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Everything John said here is good news. The coming wrath of God is good news. The judgment of God is good news. It is good news that God will not allow evil and wickedness to go unpunished. It is good news that God is a holy and righteous God. It is good news that God is wrathful to evil and ungodliness. It is good news that God punishes sinners. You know, even as Christians, I think we can look at the doctrine of hell and be squeamish about it and embarrassed by it. It's offensive. It offends our sensibilities. We'll acknowledge it, certainly, but maybe begrudgingly, certainly not with rejoicing. And there's something lamentable in the doctrine of hell. There is something sad in it, but hell is not a failing of God. Hell is a victory of God. And God's wrath is as much to be praised as his love. And that might strike you as deeply offensive. But you cannot see the extent of God's love until you see the depth of its hatred for sin. And what it really means, what it really means when we say that he who knew no sin became sin for us. The right response when we first see Jesus for who he is, is to fall on our knees and say, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. The call to repentance won't make sense apart from that. The words of John the Baptist will just be offensive unless we see Jesus for who he is and see ourselves in light of him as sinners rightfully deserving of hell and in need of repentance and see him as the lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.